Hi there, and welcome to Be a Global Citizen, the podcast that explores the concept of global citizenship through the lens of value-creating education. My name is Scott Bauer, and I'm a SOCA researcher and educator. I hope you find the discussions, stories, and insights on this podcast to be valuable and inspiring as we strive to become global citizens who are committed to living a contributive life. Today on the podcast, I spoke with Liz Hutton about her thoughts on global citizenship. She is the IB Diploma Coordinator at Dwight, New York. For over 16 years, Liz has developed her teaching and leadership skills in the IB with subjects such as biology and theory of knowledge. She is passionate about youth and wants to support their development as global citizens and lifelong learners. Let's get right into the conversation. Enjoy. So thanks so much, Scott, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, My name is Liz Hutton. Uh, My professional life uh, has mainly been in education for the last 16 years. Um, It's taken on many different forms, so from teaching to uh, curriculum leadership to administration, um, but I've always been tied to the classroom, so always held on to at least one class. Um, You know, personally involved in a lot of service work. Um, you know, being able to um, really through the lens of just equity, especially with like, young kids, um, you know, teenagers, being able to make sure that there's just um, an even playing field in terms of whether it's education, housing, et cetera. Um, so that's something that I've been really passionate. Um, you know, some of the work has been done on my own, but a lot is, uh, yeah, been done through my church. And so it's something that uh, the youth is very near and dear to my heart, that age group. Um, I currently live in New York City. Uh, with my three daughters and my husband. Um, We split our time between Pennsylvania, Florida, New York, Um, but we are a traveling family. Um, We bring everyone everywhere um, and we absolutely love exploring different cultures. Uh, We are a bicultural household. Uh, My husband is Jamaican, uh, therefore making my children half Jamaican, half American. Hi Liz, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast and thank you for that wonderful introduction. Um, There's a lot that we can dig into from uh, what you've shared uh, in terms of your education, um, your experience in education, um, as well as, um, you know, even within your family and the various trips and uh, I would imagine approaches that you bring from your education, your professional background to parenting, uh, which is a lot. So um, you're definitely juggling a lot of uh, different responsibilities and, uh, you know, I'm sure excelling in all areas while still trying to keep it all together so um yeah and i know that you're right now calling in from miami uh during spring break so i appreciate you being here um despite you know still engaged with all you know taking care of your children and then being in a different state you know truly as you said you're a traveling family um so thank you so much and um to kind of get us started um you you mentioned that you have 16 years uh, in um, the, the area of uh, education. So I'd love to hear more about that in terms of uh, your professional background. Uh, if you could share about um, what got you into the, the area of education, like what initially sparked your interest to be an educator and maybe kind of uh, go over a, a couple different like milestones, key points that really were important uh, in developing yourself as an educator. Yes. Um, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely been a journey. It wasn't an expected journey. So my initial trajectory was for medical school. Um, so I was a biology major. I, you know, studied science. I studied for the MCAT, took the MCAT. 
um, was in the process of applying for medical school. And then what happened was I had spent um, the latter half of my junior year of college studying abroad. And for the first time, I was only taking three classes. It was in beautiful, sunny Australia. Um, and really had a moment where I had, you know, more time um, than I knew what to do, um, being in a new culture, in a new place, um, you know, wanting to just, um, yeah, get out and do more, volunteer, etc. So I started volunteering in a school. And very quickly, that volunteering <laughs> turned into um, essentially almost being alone with after school kids and teaching classes and helping with math, support and science. Um, and I, I remember having tea time too. I thought that was really cool. Of just at the, everything, teachers, students would stop at 2 p.m., about 1 p.m. every day and just have tea. So um, I thought that was really, really cool. Um, it's something that sticks in my memory. But in terms of the actual experience, it was just, it was so invigorating, so, um, you know, rewarding. Uh, I worked at summer camps, et cetera. Um, you know, always been the kind of the, the student that's helping and teaching other students. Um, and then when I had gotten back, and was finishing my applications for medical school. Um, you know, I just had this sense of, you know, I don't want to kind of delay in terms of what I'm doing. I wanted to kind of start working um, right now. And then the goal was, well, maybe I'll, you know, go to medical school in three or four years. Um, so I was able to do my master's degree, um, continuing to teach, um, being a teacher's assistant for college, um, so teaching college age students. And then that really just sparked this love of teaching. Um, you know, did my student teaching in a really rural area. Uh, maybe only 20% of students went to college. Um, the rest would, you know, work in like their family businesses. Um, and it was a very, you know, local town. And so getting to see, um, you know, just really the power of education, um, understanding that when students are, you know, in your class, you know, what you're able to speak over them, what you're able to encourage them with, maybe opening their eyes to different possibilities. Um, you know, it was a school that, or a town that was only maybe, 20 minutes from Penn State University. So near this incredible academic hub, um, but yet students didn't seem to you know, want to or feel encouraged to access it. Um, even students have had that ability. So that was a point in you know, the start of my career that really looked at like, what are the pathways? Is higher education the only way? Um, and so it was very confronting. Um, you know, I came from a, you know, a small private school where you know, 100% of students matriculated on to college. Um, and so that was a point where, you know, learning that education can happen in many forms, not just in, you know, higher ed, although I'm a firm believer um, in, you know, higher ed, especially the way um, the U.S. system, you know, does higher ed, allowing students to really play and explore and not have to commit so early to a particular major. Um, so then from there, I went to teaching. Um, so I was in South Florida, um, where I began my teaching career, and I kind of fell in um, to the international baccalaureate program. Um, and so hands down, the most defining part of my career has been um, as an international baccalaureate teacher, or I will call it IB from here on out. Um, you know, the IB's mission and philosophy is, you know, how do you create a um, citizen, so individuals, right, not just groups of students, but individual students that are caring, inquiring, knowledgeable, yet strive to make the world a better place. Um, in addition to that, Right, that philosophy is based on how do these students, right, in their cultural local context, how can they have, you know, similarities and, um, you know, with other students, but yet have their differences, and different students and different individuals could be right about something, 
and have different conclusions, yet both be right. And so that's really, um, you know, working as a very young educator in the International Baccalaureate really challenged my, um, challenged me to think about you know, how, what's the purpose of an education? Why educate? Is it just to, you know, memorize and to regurgitate and to kind of serve someone else's vision? Or is it to create critical thinkers? And again, just watching it, um, you know, high school was the age I worked with, but then I also had some middle school classes and to really see just these different ages of development and how important um, teachers are in their lives how partnering with them, how speaking to their parents and helping parents see a different side of their children. Um, it was an incredibly, um, you know, most students were not from the US, most were from, um, you know, South America. Um, there were some European students, but really getting to see how, um, yeah, the teacher relationship, even how um, students were seen as people, not just as a test score. Um, and that philosophy really gripped me. So then a few years after that, when I moved to New York, um, without a job. Um, there was only a few Ivy schools in New York City, and I knew that I would rather either work um, in an Ivy school or maybe like sell pharmaceuticals. So that was um, sort of my bargain I made of, um, you know, I wanted to stay in this field, um, in this particular form of education, just because I really valued it, um, because it made me as a teacher um, <clears throat> this lifelong learners, right? It's not just for the students, but it's also for the teachers. And how do you continue to develop yourself professionally um, and alongside the students and having students be part of that development. And so luckily um, I was able to land um, at Dwight School in New York um, and yeah, just start teaching biology, uh, taught chemistry and sports science and theory of knowledge and um, you know several different subjects over a few years. And then in 2000 and 16, uh, made the leap um, and became the Ivy Diploma Coordinator there and um, got to see education from a, you know, that aerial view, that 30,000 foot view of, um, you know, how subjects that are connected, how, how can students thrive in one course, but not another, um, became really fascinated with behavior um, and also with student response. And so um, quickly realized that so much, you know, teaching in, I guess, like maybe around, yeah, 10 years in, um, you know, really had that revelation that teaching is an art and it's a science. And so, and it's a balance um, between those two of how do you, you know, reach people, but then what methods are you using? And you can have, you know, the best lineup, but if you don't have that relationship, it's, it's not going to work. Um, and, you know, working with adults, definitely could be intimidating, but then I quickly realized that those same strategies um, actually transcend to, you know, um, leading adults to working with um, a teacher population. So um, yeah, my focus became, you know, much more on relationship building, on, you know, understanding people, um, you know, really collaborative leadership styles. And so when you're confronted with leadership, you have um, this opportunity to decide, and you can change on different days and there's different types of, you know, um, you know, personas you need to take on, but really thinking about what type of leader do I want to be? And it was definitely a collaborative leader because yeah, people are fascinating. Um, without people, there's no fun. I think that work should be a place where you go and you actually laugh, where you create an environment where others are, you know, drawn into and yeah, a place where people and students want to be there because it's, it's enriching and it's fun. And so that's kind of where I've been, um, in the last few years. Uh, and then just to 
kind of round that off more recently, um, transitioning into the online space for education, looking at, you know, the power of, you know, access and inclusion and, you know, how this um, IB program could really, um, you know, serve students, whether it's a, um, a student in, you know, a female student in Afghanistan that's not allowed to go to school, it's a student that their school closed down, <clears throat> or a student with like medical or health issues um, that just can't continue in a brick and mortar, you know, actual school. And so, um, incredibly new, don't have too much wisdom to offer. Um, but yeah, building and um, establishing roots in the online space and really excited about, you know, partnerships and how schools can maybe be more connected um, where it's not about just uh, a school name or brand, but also about, you know, education. So um, yeah, that's where I currently am in my educational journey. <laughs> but wow, thank you so much, Liz. I I think you don't give yourself enough credit in terms of the work that you're currently engaged with uh, for Dwight online, because, you know, you definitely have lots and lots of wisdom and so much of the, you know, the project of educating the individual, educating um, global citizens is, uh, I would say, the, the relationships that you form with students, uh, amongst students, and, um, you know, the larger school community. So um, all those years of experience um, from South, oh, the, the rural uh, school that you were at to then South Florida and then New York, um, you're able to really bring that to the fore. And I think that's very important. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for that That kind of um, experience. You took me on this journey of like, okay, from medical medical school to Australia, to all these different states, and uh, now looking at an online school, which is uh, quite, quite recent, right? Dwight Global um, only started in 2014. I mean, there's a long, lar longer history uh, with Dwight that goes back 150 years, but for the the online school, it's 2014. And then my understanding with the IB, that's been even more recent in like 2021, roundabout. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so um, I, there's a lot that I want to go into um, about your experiences because I think it's just very rich. Um, the first question is a really quick one. Um, you you commented about uh, tea time in Australia. Do you still do tea time with like either your students or your your family? Is that something? Because you spoke so fondly of that, and um, I just I love yeah. how you can bring that from a very particular moment of your life, being abroad and saying, "Hey, let's try that. Let's remix that." Yeah, I think you know what resonated with me was that idea of like you can pause. Like there's always going to be you know, time. And I think what I have built in is like, yes, I drink a lot of tea. Um, but, you know, building in those coffee breaks and those intentional breaks where you're, you know, in a staff room or you, you know, have a phone call with someone or it, it really, it's about the conversation, right? This unstructured time. And so, you know, I definitely have incorporated, you know, daily unstructured time. I think it's a place where, you know, on walks, some of the best, you know, ideas have come out in terms of, you know, curriculum, in terms of, you know, what's next in terms of, um, yeah, just helping to like see people, encourage people to just laugh, to, you know, commiserate, whatever it may be at that moment and what's needed. But no, definitely, um, you know, daily, uh, make sure I at least have, you know, one meaningful connection with, um, you know, one of the 67 people that are um, under my leadership. Yeah, that's um, amazing. And I, I find it very encouraging how you were able to pull um, this kind of um, 
yeah, wisdom from that particular experience and apply that in a very like kind of intercultural way that, um, you know, you find yourself in the U.S. and, um, you know, things can get a little bit hectic, busy work life. And uh, to remember that that's something important and that actually ties into um, not just being a better professional, but also just being a, a better, being a more authentic human being because those relationships or that that space to think is uh, va valuable and meaningful so yeah i just i i i i just thought that was a really cool um you know thing that you pointed out about australia um and i'm so glad that you were able to have that experience since um it's it's quite a privilege i've had my own study abroad experience when i went to peru and um and so many of our students are kind of you know taking their courses their classes in all different countries uh, or they're you know abroad right now for their spring break who knows uh, it's hard to kind of keep track of everyone so there's definitely so much to be learned from um, being in a very different environment and being exposed to different cultural practices or mindsets um, one thing i wanted to ask though um, this is actually something you, you didn't mention um, you kind of started with the the fact that you were interested in medical school um, that you were studying for the um, mcat Right. And um, then decided I'd rather, you know, kind of dive into teaching. I want to go at it right now rather than kind of delay or get the sense that, you know, you you have to wait another three years before you actually do the thing <laughs> that you're looking to. Yeah, like 11 years almost for what I wanted to do. Yeah. Oh, OK. <laughs> three, three to 11 years. <laughs> I'm, I'm not so familiar since uh, yeah, I also didn't go that pathway, but it resonated with me since both my parents uh, work in the medical field. And um, and I actually had a very similar mindset um, when choosing colleges. I thought, hmm, maybe I should maybe, maybe I should uh, become a nurse or a doctor. That seems like a, a safe pathway. Um, so like what what were the influences that drove you to want to go into the medical field? Um, I'm just curious if you can maybe kind of briefly share that. Yeah, I think one is I love science. Um, you know, I think, you know, I still I teach, you know, higher level biology. Um, I think science is fascinating. I think, you know, the history of science, the discovery, um, just the qualities of a scientist that, you know, you, really you can never prove anything, but like you're always finding support for things, but yet remaining open-minded that if something else presents as true you need to objectively you know evaluate and decide okay is this is this now part of that set of knowledge and so um I think the the helping of people the helping of people being in a field where you know again seeing medicine as a field where you can directly have an impact and you can actually help and you can make the world a better place um where you can have those connections where you have you know, the authority and the influence too. Um, you know, teaching wasn't high on my list, um, you know, because I didn't see it as a place where, you know, you can really make an impact. Um, but I think that was a very immature view um, and having those different experiences. It's like, well, when the door is shut, so to speak, like you are the one that's having the influence. Um, you know, yes, there's like state and standards and, you know, a lot of, um, you know, bureaucracy that sometimes can surround schools, the same things that can push teachers from the profession. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's not a kid's not going to remember, oh, yeah, that standardized test or that curriculum. It's really, you know, that that teacher um, that made a difference. And so, um, you know, having a more holistic view of, you know, education can kind of accomplish those same things. Um, and also personally wanting to 
um, you know, have children um, kind of, you know, earlier on than, you know, most uh, New Yorkers. Uh, so having a kid in your late 20s is very early in New York, um, whereas in other cultures, you're you're behind. And so um, it's one of those things where I knew that there would be a sacrifice that with medicine that, um, you know, I would have to make um, depending on, you know, how I wanted my family to kind of roll out and at what point I wanted to have kids and, you know, being pretty adamant about wanting to have kids fairly young um, so that the, you know, the latter part uh, when I'm in my 50s, you know, where some people have toddlers, um, you know, I'd be able to be in a place where, um, yeah, I can do different things and continue to, um, you know, build and yeah, so that was that was really one of the driving forces. <laughs> and you, teaching yeah. um, seemed like a really, really good fit for them. Yes, I mean, it's all connected. It all ties into um, the work that you're doing right now, as well as the life and the family that you've created. Um, I, I just find it um, really encouraging how you were able to make these decisions and have this kind of longer term um, perspective, right? It wasn't just kind of a spontaneous decision, um, but very much one that was based in like what you identified as like, you know, circumstances that you wanted it for your life um, and not compromising on a, a deeper passion to connect with people to really understand uh, the power of science and the role that science plays in in our world. And I'm sure that um, as you, you know, were teaching um, most, for the most part, biology, but you've taught many other subjects. Um, when you were exposed to the IB, um, you, you became, um, you know, very interested and uh, compelled uh, by the, the mission of the IB. Um, and to kind of, there's like 10, IB learner profiles and all of them really speak to um, kind of more self-aware, globally aware individual, someone who doesn't shy away from differences, um, but learn, you know, learns across difference and is um, willing to take risks. And I, I could probably go list off. I think I maybe listed like three out of the 10 right there. Um, yeah. Critical thinking aspect as well. Um, but I'm, I'm curious to hear how, um, you know, the mission of the IB relates specifically to your subject? Like how would you kind of speak about the the overlap uh, between um, what the IB is trying to do and then what you're doing within your classroom as a biology teacher to get them to that ideal? Yes, so that's, um you know, so I think, you know, one of the tenets and the attributes is definitely inquiry, right? What does it mean to, you know, be an inquirer? Um, and how does that curiosity that's, you know, so present in students in elementary school where they want to know everything about the weather? How does the music come through the radio? How does the food get warm in the microwave? Um, you know, the average kid, the number of questions they ask, it's, you know, staggering. And then, you know, as kids get older, um, you know, that that questioning, right, to be a good questioner, um, to be able to ask questions that are going to get, you know, not just, you know, one directional responses, but that can actually lead to conversation. I think that form of, you know, questioning is definitely um, an art, I think, as a teacher, you know, you want to continually pose questions to students um, and understanding that their minds may be wired in a way where they might see something, you know, different. Um, and I think one of the beautiful things, you know, in biology is that there's elements of art, there's elements of, you know, mathematics that play in, um, you know, I love watching how you're showing that science, yes, you're in science class, but it's not just one dimensional of a discipline, right? 
um, you know, artist, the way we use models, the way we explain things, um, how we're able to um, have ideas be, you know, pushed through um, the art of writing, right? Communication is really at the heart of, you know, everything. And that's what we're, you know, trying to teach in all of our classes. How do you communicate, you know, orally and writing through pictures? Because um, everything you're doing is communicating something. Um, so that's definitely one of the, I think, tenets. I think in terms of, you know, that open-mindedness, also the IB does a really good job of, you know, talking about the paradigm shifts that have happened where, you know, it was believed that, you know, the liver was the, where the blood came from, but then this is what happened. And now we know it's not. Um, but it also doesn't like sugarcoat it. It shows, you know, the hundreds of years it took for acceptance of, you know, the turning over of different theories, um, even like the the sexism, the persecution that would exist for some people, um, the relationship of the church at the time, you know, to science, um, and that you have to understand that history, right, to understand, you know, why did Darwin sit on his ideas for 10 years and essentially end up with ulcers, and it wasn't, you know, until his daughter's death that he was like, you know, screw this, I'm going to, you know, publish my findings, and so, um, yeah, I think, you know, being open-minded that science is not stagnant and that the role of technology can definitely be an aid, um, but also how, you know, how does new information, you know, influence it? And again, the applied part of science of how can we use this to help other people, right? Because we also have seen where the science can also then be dangerous, whether it's from, you know, food that is making people sicker and sicker and sicker and the obesity epidemic, which um, is, you know, very, uh, disheartening, um, or if it's thinking about, you know, medicine, pharmaceuticals, uh, whether it's talking about crops. So there's there's so much that, um, yeah, I feel like science is at the heart of it. And so when students come out, you know, being using evidence, that's kind of like one of my main goals is that a student can, you know, use evidence to form an argument and that they become, you know, critical consumers of information. So when you read the news about, you know, certain types of vaccines or whether understanding the debate um, that the science, right, and not just how science is reported, but the actual, you know, primary sources, um, students can look critically and understand, um, you know, where these opinions and, um, you know, dis discord can come from. Yeah, from from what you're sharing, it's it's much more about biology within the context of IB and how you have approached teaching biology to your students over the years. It's much more than just identifying what are the different parts of a cell, right? Mitochondria, right? That, that's really been my experience when I took biology in high school. It, it just seemed very distant from the actual real world applications and also the various skill sets that you would need to be a successful biologist. And not just in terms of um, passing, let's say, the, the, the MCAT, right, where it, it, it comes down to memorizing and identifying and just kind of plugging away um but also like the 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 why why am i learning about this specific um you know virus strain you know what kind of um implications does that have on the the, the wider um world and and yeah and i think that's oftentimes missing from um certain curriculum and um yeah and i think this kind of like an easier route it's just a lot kind of more straightforward, but the IB really tries to bring all these different perspectives. And then I, I like how you emphasize the um, inquire profile of like asking the 
not like necessarily the right questions. Maybe it's the right question for you in terms of like a genuine sense of curiosity that this is what I would like to know. But then the art that comes with, um, you know, asking questions that lead to um, more questions or lead to a vibrant conversation. And I think that's something that, you know, takes the science um, and uh, like it elevates it. And as well, uh, it also spotlights the communal aspect that it's not just a lone scientist in a room with like test tubes and mixing things, you know, um, right. Or like the, under the microscope, but there's, there's so many other people um, and you have to be collaborative as well, which is one of the things that you um, emphasize about um, why being like, what kind of leader you want to be. You want to be a collaborative leader um, because um, that, that really makes the learning space so much more vibrant. Um, so yeah, with what you were sharing, um, I can definitely see how there's these connections to, to the IB, um, and you were also a theory of knowledge uh, teacher. So, I mean, again, just really putting all this together, like it's like biology with math and biology with history, biology with all these different subjects. Uh, so I thought you did a really great job articulating all of that. Um, my next question um, gets to, you know, the the whole theme of, of my podcast, which, you know, speaks to global citizenship. Uh, I'm curious to know when was the first time you heard this particular term global citizenship or global citizen? Was this, um, you know, kind of tied to the IB in any ways? Or did you hear about this before, um, you know, starting your work with, with the IB? Yeah, I think um, a lot of it was with the IB um, and particularly like with the UN goals and the sustainability goals and looking at how, you know, the UN um, I mean, that would be probably like a dream job to be able to like, you know, work with like UN women or um, to be able to, you know, migrate to that branch. Um, but I really think that that's where, um, yeah, I first heard of it. That's, you know, growing in a school that was, you know, very diverse. Um, it was really important for me to be able to think about, you know, others. Um, I went to a school that was 100% white and 100% Catholic growing up. Um, had zero diversity from my day to day. Uh, and that was pretty much the same for all surrounding schools um, where I grew up in Pennsylvania. And so it wasn't until I went to college that I actually even spoke um, and had a conversation with someone that was from not just a different race, but of a different even culture, a different religion, um, a different um, you know nationality. And so it was sort of one of those things where like, oh my gosh, like I've been... I, and again, I didn't feel guilty for any of it because it's not like I chose not to engage with people from other cultures. It was just like, there was no option. Um, and found that really interesting of like, you know, really curious about cultures and how people do different things and what's valued. And um, again, like really like the male female dynamics have always been super interesting to me and like the patriarch versus the matriarch in different cultures. and. Um, you know, how that has slipped into, um, you know, U.S. culture, because really U.S. is just it's remnants of all these different cultures, uh, whether it's, you know, looking at medieval, you know, Europeans or, um, you know, dynasties or whatever it may be, um, elements have definitely slipped in and, and just it's like a bad game of telephone sometimes where things have gotten passed down and you don't really know why or the reason, um, but you have, you know, versions of different practices. Um, so, yeah, it became really interesting thinking about my culture where I felt like I was like a cultural, um, where I felt like then that was the point where like there was definitely some self-reflection and I think like maybe not guilt, but like 
kind of like a sense of like um maybe a sense of like even mourning of like how I had no culture like if it was like you know describe cultural things that you participated in I'm like I don't know Christmas like um you know didn't have any defining moments or even foods or um language or anything that um you know I identified as being unique um to my particular um you know birth family and so it definitely was a while before I realized well you know that's okay but you can continue to you know, move forward and to explore culture in different ways. And just because you're not born into it doesn't mean, you know, you can't, um, yeah, experience different cultures and thinking about, you know, traditions and things for my children of what I incorporate and making sure they understand, like, you know, the history and the context. And so, yeah, like, you know, as a mom, like, I definitely borrow, um, you know, again, without you know, making things seem superficial, but, you know, really educating them, especially obviously Caribbean culture and Jamaican culture, because, you know, they're half Jamaican. So I want them to understand those roots and um, have that understanding of colonialism and, you know, the good and the bad. Yeah, thank you so much for, for sharing. And I, I find, um, well, I wanted to talk a little bit about your study abroad experience in Australia, but I also find uh, that the, you know, from, you know, you grew up, as you said, like more of an acultural or just very homogenous, um, yeah, kind of group and, um, you know, celebrated just Christmas and you're like, ah, oh, what else was there? And then now you find your family uh, make up to be, um, you know, very different in that there's this kind of so like biracial and then it's kind of um, different cultures as well Jamaican culture and then you know the culture that you you grew up in the U.S. in Pennsylvania um, or just you know I guess on the east coast um, but yeah I, are you so yeah I guess I'm trying to organize my thoughts right now um, I guess the first question would be um, when you went to Australia um, you hadn't heard about the term global citizenship, right? That was before your work with the IB. Um, but I always find it interesting to kind of like think back on like a time where, yeah, you probably weren't cognizant of that. But in many ways, being abroad, you were you were engaging with global citizenship in, in some capacity, right? By being out of your comfort zone or, um, you know, it's not a quite a different language, but I mean, the accent is strong enough where it kind of does feel at times quite jarring of like, what was that one word that you said, or maybe the food? Um, if, if you can maybe share briefly, um, what were a few things that really caught you off guard being in Australia? And how does that, um, like saying it, how does it kind of um, hit you now um, in terms of like your greater awareness of like how those experiences probably contributed to you being a global citizen now? Yeah. Um... So it was a few things. So I went with a group of Americans, ended up living um, in a house, an unfurnished, very big house, but with um, with three other students. Um, one guy was from Wisconsin, another one from uh, Seattle, and then the girl was from Long Island. Um, and so, you know, looking at how a bunch of, you know, U.S. citizens, uh, you know, again, from all different uh, schools and stuff. So it wasn't like we knew each other. Um, this particular program would take students from the U.S. and, you know, put them in these programs to have, you know, some type of oversight. And so looking at the extent to which different culture or different people engage in different culture of, you know, like who, which of us like made friends with locals, like, you know, I wanted to always like be the one to go to the grocery store. I think grocery stores personally are the most fascinating um, parts of a culture. I love walking in, you know, in Europe or South America, 
um, because even the way like the layout is and like in Australia, like you don't refrigerate eggs. And why is that? Oh, well, like we whitewash them essentially and bleach them. So like they lose this coating um, and I'm not, you know, wasn't prepared to talk about eggs. But essentially what we do in the process to make them more white requires them to be refrigerated to not go bad. But like eggs are not refrigerated in Australia. Um, learning about things, you know, this will make your global politics heart happy, but like thinking about like why were bananas? So like, you know, Trader Joe's bananas have been 19 cents since I was like born, right? And they still are 19 cents. Um, bananas were like $19 a pound. And they're like, well, why is that, right? And thinking about like, you know, what where Australia is, how it's, you know, obviously like an island kind of on its own. Um, so yeah, food, I think is definitely the biggest thing of like yeah, going to the grocery store, thinking about how things are, um, you know, different types of meats and having kangaroo is like, you know, there's chicken and there's kangaroo and, you know, making sure to try local cuisine. Um, but also at the school, like, you know, making friends with people that are local and being like, hey, I want to, you know, whether it's going to the beach or um, like hitchhiking, for example, was like super common, you know, <laughs> if my parents ever listened to this podcast, they'd fall over, right? But um, like we would hitchhike to the beach like on a regular basis. And so um, the terms of like safety in Australia of, you know, the cops not even carrying guns, which was like super strange of like, well, they don't have weapons. How is this going to work? Um, you know, the drinking age of, you know, to consume alcohol was, you know, I think 18. Um, so, you know, obviously like turning 21 in Australia as I did was like this super anticlimactic thing. I did pretend it was my bachelorette party though. And that was very fun. Uh, a fake one, obviously, but, um, yeah, like it was, it, it was just, uh, yeah, food, people, um, housing, even like there's, you don't dry your clothes, right? Like everything is like, well, it's Australia. So no, you put your clothes to dry. Like, why would you waste that energy? Um, more interesting was watching the news, right? <laughs> I found it so fascinating. It was like 2004, so election year, um, watching the news in Australia um, and how the US was painted as just this like violent, kind of very political, like non-safe place to be. Um, so I always found that incredibly interesting how so much of US news was so focal, even in, you know, Australian like daily TV talk shows, you know, hitchhiking was <laughs> an interesting one. Uh, safety, relative safety, coffee, like going to order a coffee, but I just want coffee. They're like, well, what kind? I'm like, coffee? They're like, well, what kind? <laughs> you know, flat white. I'm like, I don't know what all these terms mean. Um, but I think like, you know, one of my strategies of survival was just partnering with, you know, locals and like, you know, joining like um, different groups and like clubs and a cinematography club. And even though I didn't really need it, going to professors for extra help of like, you know, I did a research project on herbs. And so, you know, it was on medicinal healing, like this non, um, this professor had lost his wife to cancer and he had this thing called the Dingle Deal. So it was like, he wrote this book about it was you know, deal, so diet, environment, attitude, and lifestyle. And this was the first time I ever kind of was introduced to alternative medicine. Um, and then, yeah, did a whole research project on herbs for different types of healing. And I was like, I want to go to the source. So he hooked me up with different people and, you know, learned just about, um, you know, traditional Aborigine, um, you know, medicine. So that was really cool. So yeah, I definitely seek out things uh, personally. So I do know that that would help me um, to yeah be able to learn through others. 
it sounds like you had such a dynamic and jam-packed you know experience in um in Australia how, how long were you there for was it like a one semester study abroad oh, yeah it was, like, it was like seven months like mm-hmm. I you know went and then I stayed through this well their winter our summer um yeah stayed seven months so it was yeah it was really great only having like three academic classes and um yeah just had a lot more a lot more time to do things like you know whatever yeah whatever I wanted <laughs> yeah and it sounds like all the things all those things that you shared really um sets you up to be a even um, more curious individual and uh, to to really seek out um you know knowledge new knowledge as well as to make new uh, friendships and yeah I, I thought that you know your comments about um, the supermarkets in different countries to be so so fascinating and it's I, I I totally agree um you know living in Brazil I, I spent most of my time going to different countries in South America but the, it's very different the supermarket layouts and also just the products that they have um seeing what Amer- I would always like try to look for like what are the different American brands yeah oh very interesting and you know trying to you know see the familiar amidst the you know totally unfamiliar and um, how to make sense of that. Because then over time, like the longer you stay in a place, the the more it kind of feels like home, right? Or it, you feel more secure in, in what yeah, is in front of you. Um, so yeah, it sounds like you really made the most of your experience there. And I think, uh, yeah, identified a lot of different qualities that um, bode well for global citizens. Um, and then this next question that I wanted to ask um, relates to your family, um, you know, you being a parent, um, in a biracial family, and um, how how is it that you go about um, with instilling qualities of a, a global citizen um, in the your your three your three daughters? I know that you mentioned that you're like a traveling family, so perhaps that may maybe one of them. But if you could identify maybe a couple, that would be really interesting. Yeah, um, you know, they all attend an Ivy school. Um, so I have, you know, a middle schooler, a third grader, and a kindergartner. Um, so, you know, just by default of living in New York City, um, you know, we are able to, you know, have experience and access to, you know, so much, um, you know, so much different like history and museums, but also just their friends and their friends' cultures. And so, um, you know, I think the school does an excellent job of, you know, having students share about their culture, what their culture means to them. Um, but, you know, beyond just like the food and flags, right? It's also about like family, like what does family look like and family culture. Um, and, you know, so there's different things that we'll introduce of like, you know, thinking, of, um, you know, I love Israel. I think like it's just a fascinating place to study, uh, you know, the history of, Jewish population uh, looking at just, yeah, the idea of rest and Sabbath. So that's like been one thing that we've introduced to our kids of like what it means to like take a Sabbath of like to truly rest. I think it's so countercultural, um, you know, to have a full, you know, 24 hours. We don't, we do it like every three weeks. So we don't do it every week, um, but to take like a full, you know, complete tech free, you know, not like, to, like, you can turn on lights and things like that and shower and, you know, I'll do laundry, but, um, you know, really 24 hours where it's, you know, focused on just yeah, your family and games. And that's been really, really fascinating to see how, you know, they respond um, to that. So that's been one thing um, that I've done with the children. I think also, um, you know, letting them travel, um, 
and, you know, trying to travel in places where we stay in, you know, not just with, you know, in a hotel, but we stay, you know, with the family or we stay with friends where they get to see different things. Um, you know, we um, sponsor a child in Uganda. We have, we've like, since he was two and he's now 13, um, you know, so we pay for his schooling and his food and they write letters to him. And, you know, we were trying to go over, like when COVID hit, um, so hopefully next summer we get to go to Uganda um, but, and actually visit him because we were telling him we're coming uh, and we have not come. Um, but, you know, really excited. They call like they refer to him like as their brother and like, you know, we get his picture, school pictures every year and stuff. And um, and so being able to have, you know, that connection where it's not just like you spend money or but like it's like, no, like. I don't think the kids even like, no, we fully finance and they know we help support him, but I've never said we give money. It's more of like, they think they're pen pals um, of being able to write to him and tell them about like what's happening and talk about the world cup or talk about, you know, school or talk about whatever, um, you know, it may be of like, they'll send him a piece of gum or something. We like try this new gum flavor. Um, I don't know if it actually makes it there, um, but they'll put it in of like, you know, or Maddie's like, I want to give him a tattoo, like a glitter, a glitter tattoo. And so she'll put that in. Um, so that's been something that's helped to, you know, build that idea that um, there's connectedness. And then, yeah, so travel, um, I think books, I love books that I'd love to read. Um, I think making sure, you know, what was I reading right before we left? Oh, The Water Protectors. Um, it's such a good book. It's like, um, and Disney too has been coming out recently with a lot of like, like they, they, they do some parts, right. But um, yeah, talking about different cultures and representation. Um, and so I think, you know, in books like this one book, Little Leaders, um, you know, different black women that are different leaders, uh, just reading those stories, reading, you know, there's like the black Cinderella story. Um, but there's, you know, just different, um, yeah, different books, really because books can transport you to, you know, whole new worlds. Um, my oldest daughter, she was reading a book about the Chicago fires. Um, you know, my little one, I have her reading, um, you know, like just some Jane Goodall books, but just the idea of like conservation and, you know, resource and protectiveness. And then of course my little one just, you know, goes along. We do picture books still of like the water protectors we were just talking about. But yeah, I think books are and libraries are amazing ways to open up those lenses to those worlds. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I find that um, you are really doing all your all you can to expose your your children to um, different perspectives and expanding their horizons and um, getting out, right? Not just being behind a screen or behind a book, while those are important, um, it's it's definitely there's definitely more beyond that, and I think there's something about like the tactile experience of actually going to a place and you know um, feeling things and taking in the sights and the smells that is um, important, and I think just kind of brings everything together. Um, so so yeah, and I I love that you were sharing about um, books at the very end. That was actually kind of my last question, but I feel like you've already answered it to a certain degree. In terms of um, the various books that your your children are are reading, and how varied they are, and um, and it's not necessarily you know age appropriate, but it's just like whatever their interests are, and whatever kind of catches you know grabs their attention, and they just they'll just go for it, um, and it'll change over the years. Um, if there is there is there an additional uh, book recommendation or film recommendation that you would like to share? Maybe this one coming from you rather than yeah. your children? You know, it's not, um, it's a form of media, but um, so I've been following, you know, Humans of New York for, you know, since um, 
so the, I think his name is Brandon something, but um, he's recently done Humans of the World. Um, and so this idea of like using photography to tell stories and to, you know, the, the, it started as like, do, are you familiar with it at all? Um, Humans in New York, yeah. So yes. like looking at um, the idea of like listening, the idea of you're not trying to filter anyone's story, but you're letting them tell the story. So, um, I mean, I absolutely just like, you know, I think I have Instagram solely for Humans of New York. It's one of my favorite things to read. I mean, I'll be like you know, on a subway train, like sobbing. Um, and I've known people featured on them too. So that's also super cool. Um, but to read those stories through the lens of them doing the storytelling, I think storytelling is so powerful. And then, so looking at the humans of the world, again, it's through this guy's, um, you know, he's opening the lens and having the privilege to be able to talk to people and interview. But, um, I think it's been one of the more powerful things and, you know, not creating that, like kind of the empathy fatigue that can so often happen. Um, you know, when there's like conflict and wars and, uh, you know, tornadoes and pestilence and all the things that are happening, you know, if you turn on the news right now, um, you can get really fatigued and wear it down. But when you bring it down to the one, when you bring it down to actually hearing their stories and to know that, yes, like beyond like the disaster, like they have other parts um, just like you do, like they have, you know, things they enjoy, music they like, um, and it helps to humanize the situation. So I think it's a way that you can share those with your kids. Obviously, some are more appropriate than others. Um, but storytelling is incredibly powerful. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I totally agree. I think storytelling is so important to highlight um, our, our unique backgrounds and identities. Um, as well as um, to make us all that much more relatable um, and human, right? In terms of our day-to-day -day experiences, our struggles, right? everyone has struggles. And so the, that storytelling then becomes a vehicle for greater empathy. And um, and yeah, I think that's very much needed in, in our world um, and something that I think global citizens really hold close to their heart. So um, thank you so much for sharing. And and I will make sure that on my Instagram, I'll I'll go and follow Humans of New York and start reading up uh, more uh, or the Humans of the World too. Perhaps there might be um, a couple that are really um, interesting that I can share with my my class for global politics. I think that would be very relevant. So thank you. And we're you know nearing the end of our conversation. Um, thank you so much. It's been so wonderful to hear more about your background as well as how you understand global citizenship, how you apply it. You have applied that uh, through your classes, through your parenting, and how it um, also informed, you know, you, who you are in this moment and um, how you, you know, see yourself kind of moving forward, potentially the next uh, big job being with the, the UN, UN women you mentioned, uh, you know, sky's the limit. Um, I think that's amazing. And, uh, you know, everything about, you know, what you've gone through and the questions that you've asked yourself and posed to your students and your children, I think really just shows the pathway that you're you're headed down. So um, thank you. And I wanted to leave the last um, comment for yourself. Um, anything about global citizenship or kind of where you're at right now in your life that you would like to to kind of end the conversation on? Yeah, just, I guess, um, people, right? People people are citizens, right? And, you know, resource and, um, you know, thinking about like growing up in Pennsylvania, the Native Americans of like, you know, the ideas of always leaving places better than you found them. And um, yeah, I think that that's one thing that can really help children. Um, and then the idea of youth is that 
you know, kids are the most impressionable. They are the next, you know, generation or the next two generations. And so um, you can get a lot more. Yeah, just like the importance of involving, you know, youth of all ages in this conversation is just um, can't be overlooked. Thank you so much, Liz, for sharing your thoughts about global citizenship on the podcast. And uh, I really appreciate how you um, really took us on this journey about um, your initial interest in medical school and um, found yourself kind of going down the path of education. Um, It really mirrors a lot of what I experienced myself um, with my own upbringing, um, being encouraged to um, consider medical school um, or just, you know, the medical field in general and deciding that I, I wanted to explore more. I wanted to see what else was out there and, um, you know, also give back in a way. So it really um, just is wonderful to hear how you made your decisions and uh, made them very confidently, very deliberately. And you are very tied to your local community. Um, you're also very aware of uh, the different identities um, within your family, which is um, so important, I think, in terms of um, expanding upon identity and passing along certain values of global citizenship to your children, um, your three daughters, but also in the work that you do with Dwight New York and Dwight Global, how you convey that through your interactions with Uh, faculty as well as in your classes with your students. I think all of that really inspires people to be critical thinkers, lifelong learners, and to work more collaboratively. So um, once again, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you taking the time.